Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Good morning, Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston. I'm the co-host here. Today, I'm talking with Mike Viola. He's the head of analytics at FEE, Foundation for Economic Education, also a Young Voices contributor. We talked about his recent piece that was published by National Review, Education is More Expensive and Less Valuable Than Ever. Uh, I learned some concerning things about our education system. We talk about the student debt cancellation, the the pause in student loan payments, a recent firing at NYU for an organic chemistry professor that I did not know about until I read this piece, a lot of other stuff. So I hope you all enjoy the interview. And as always, go to joingml.com so you can join our private Discord and natescrashcourse.com if you would like to learn how to trade in the stock market. And boy, has it been a fun year for that so far. That's natescrashcourse.com. All right, enough of this advertising. Let's get into the interview with Mike Viola. Here we go. All right, Mike, how you doing today? I'm doing great. What about you, Nate? I'm doing wonderful. I'm ready to take a couple days off. I don't know if uh, you're taking the next couple days off as well, but I'm ready for it. Yes, I, I sure will be, and I'm excited for it. Okay. Uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to uh, to everyone? I see the Foundation for Economic Education. All of our listeners would be uh, very, very much aware of that because we go over pieces from Fee all the time. So, uh, so, So that's pretty cool. Anyway, I'll let you go. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm in charge of analytics at Fee, basically seeing who we're reaching, um, you know, in what demographics, markets, that sort of thing, and kind of figuring out how we can maximize that liberty message for younger people. Um, so as you guys might know, Fee does a lot of online content, but we also do in-classroom programs across the world um, in English and Spanish uh, for students to teach about economics. And so, you know, we're really at the forefront of making sure that the you know good economic ideas and a proper background gets into the minds of kids who might not have access to a curriculum. 
Oh, it's really cool. I had no idea. I've been reading Feed for a long time, and I had no clue that they did any kind of classroom content. That's great. Yeah, it's, it's what we were founded to do. And it's funny because it's not what we're most famous for in the liberty movement, but yeah. that's that was kind of its original mission. Well, it, honestly, I guess it's a good thing I didn't know that they did that because that would have been a waste of resources letting me know that they did that in the first place because it wouldn't have meant anything to me <laughs> yeah, anyway. Exactly. So good job on the analytics and <laughs> showing that to the right people. So <laughs> we got your you, you recently had a piece published by National Review talking about education. It's uh, the title is Education is More Expensive and Less Valuable Than Ever. As I was telling you before we started, I'm very concerned. And so I guess the first thing I wanted to ask about, how much has the cost of the education increased? And we're talking about higher education, talking about K through 12. What are we looking at? And maybe we'll talk about why. That also seems like an important question. Yeah, absolutely. So um, since the turn of the millennium, um, average tuition sticker in both sticker price and the amount that students actually pay out of pocket has about doubled. That is obviously going to be due to subsidization regimes being easier, so easy to get loans. Uh, oftentimes people not understanding the loans when they take them. Also direct payouts to universities. Uh, you know, once you're receiving money from the government, it, you kind of expect it to keep on coming and you can spend it on whatever you want. You don't really need to be thrifty with it. And so that ultimately just leads to tuition prices rising and rising. A lot of people have tried to blame, you know, spending too much on sports or too much on amenities. That may be true, but ultimately it's because they're enabled from non-market forces, aka the government, giving them more money than they really know how to be productive with. I find it really interesting that when we talk about, uh, say, student loans and we talk about the interest rates being really high and people can't pay for their student loans, I rarely, if ever, see someone make the case that colleges are price gouging their students and using their power and raising their prices uh, by 100 uh, percent over the uh, the last 20 years or so. Why isn't anyone ever making that case or am i just maybe robert reich has been making that case every single day on twitter and i've just missed it but i haven't seen it yet yeah well it's funny the people who normally complain about price gouging with like paper towels aren't <laughs> complaining about it with universities you i i sort of assume that's probably more out of political alliance than anything else right i'm, I'm sure elizabeth warren feels a lot more beholden to harvard university than to whoever makes bounty, but um, I, I ultimately would, uh, you know, suspect that that's just not really on people's radar, not only that, but because we have this cultural component, partly driven by the subsidization regime that everyone needs to go to college now to have a good job. I think people have somehow convinced themselves that it's worth the price when it, it certainly is for some people, but not everybody. And unfortunately, I think the value as reflected not only in the sticker price but also in the type of education you receive is not really living up to that reputation yeah when i graduated i graduated from high school maybe 17 years ago now uh, i hate saying that out loud i think it was about 17 years ago you had to go to college or you were never going to be able to do anything for the rest of your life so i went to college immediately having really no clue 
what I was going to do. It went from being a lawyer to being a music teacher during that time. Never finished. I'm still paying for it right now. Has has the case changed? Is it a little bit different now that maybe you don't absolutely have to go to college to make something of yourself? Well, so I suspect yes, though I, I would say I, I don't I don't want anyone to be making any decisions based on what I say. But um, having gone through the pandemic and seeing, I think uh, people kind of see the grift for themselves, right? Like they, they had to pay full tuition, but take the classes from home. Um, grading in many cases got easier. I think it's become more and more clear that someone who went to college is not necessarily smarter than someone who did not go to college. I also know from personal experience, just at places I've worked in the last few years, there has definitely been a shift away from the, you know, a four year degree is a requirement to other job experience can substitute to, you know, other different forms of arrangements. There's also really interesting organizations like Praxis that offer alternative programs where you may learn a lot of the same things about how to think that you would learn in college, but you're not just sitting there taking subjects you're not interested in for the sake of it, right? Um, there's many purposes that college serves that not everybody necessarily needs to do. Right. Like when I went to college, I thought I was <laughs> I thought I was going to grow up to be an Egyptologist. So I had to go to college. <laughs> right. But not everyone is in that situation. Right. And I, I don't necessarily think people working in coding or any of these really interesting careers needs a degree to prove that they can do it. Uh, I think that's true. And are you still did you ever become an Egyptologist or was that just a, a dream <laughs> back then? It was my major, but I yeah. can't say that was ever my full-time job. <laughs> uh, one thing that we've seen happen recently, we had student debt cancellation that was definitely going to happen. Everyone's going to get 20000 And then we see a couple days after the elections, news comes out, well, this is actually unconstitutional. Uh, they take down the application process. Maybe we're not going to get the cancellation, but we did just extend the pause all the way until June of 2023, I believe. And I think there's another thing in there where 60 days after that, depending on what the uh, litigation is here with the cancellation. What are your thoughts on this whole pause, cancellation pause thing that's happening right now? Yeah, well, so obviously I'm very happy with it. I think the student loan cancellation would have set a terrible precedent. Now, obviously there's the fact that non-college attendees would be bailing out college attendees and there's going to be some correlation with income there as well they'd also be they'd be bailing out people with mds they'd be bailing out people with useless master's degrees in whatever you want to say i, I don't mean that to disparage anyone but there are some mm. some degrees that you don't need to get and um i ultimately think suspending the program well, I'm, you know, I, I'm glad that the decision was made for non-political reasons. I also think it's politically a very good thing. Again, the very idea that the government might in the future bail out your loans because they've done it before would have been a horrendous decision that would have led to people making horrible decisions whether or not they got bailed out in the future, right? There would be people willing to wager tons of money on the assumption that the government would bail them out. And if the government actually does bail them out, that would also only further 
incentivize colleges to raise their sticker prices and ask for even more money from the government because they'll ultimately have it canceled. Even more so than all of than they have already in helping the raise. I I was going to ask you. I'm working on a on an article right now, and it and it basically has to do with the fact that I think it's too late now. I think that this pause over the last couple of years, this major talk of cancellation. Listen, I'm someone who holds personal responsibility and high regard. I like to pay my bills, stuff like that. I'm still paying for my student loans, but I question it every single time because I don't know if they're ever going to take away the pause. And then they talk about the cancellation. I'm like, why am I still sending money every month? And it, it for what? They're just going to cancel it later on once the debt becomes so big that they're it's you know, it's too big to fail or whatever. They'll just end up bailing the whole thing out. And so do you ever think that it's, it's just too late? We gotta, we're going to have federalized higher education no matter what now? Well, so first to clarify, I, I think I, when you said pause earlier, I, I thought you meant the pause on the cancellation program, but you mean the, the COVID I mean era the, pause on payments. The pause that we're still doing right, right now. Yeah, for the federal, for the federal yeah. loans. I don't. That's that's a slippery slope with emergency powers, right? Mm. That's not almost not even really an education question, but more just the fact that they, I mean, let's say in 2020, I don't know what, what their real thought process was, but let's say we'll cancel it for March and April, and then it's expanded, it's expanded more and more, and well into the Biden administration, we're still doing it. They obviously understand that there will be a revolt when they do it even though it eventually must be done in, in making people start up their payments again. And so there, I, I'm actually less worried about how it affects the education system and more just the precedent with government powers in general that it sends, and more broadly how people think of their economic relationship with the state, right? Like, again, with student loan forgiveness, that's one way of, of just subsidizing even more here with a pause, it's sort of like, well, it's just so expensive and I, I deserve a bailout for whatever reason, even though this is what I consented to do, right? I, I think we've we've lessened the idea of contract in people's minds by doing that sort of thing. And that can happen in subsidization, subsidization of education or really any other field. Yeah, just what I've worried about is when, when even I get to the point where I... I'm just thinking, well, they're going to cancel. They're going to forgive eventually. Right now we're paused. I can pay and I'm going to not be paying any interest or whatever, but whatever money I send, I feel like it's a complete waste. And, and so I don't, you know, I just, I assume other people are thinking the same way. I'm worried that in people's minds, we've already taken this too far. People are used to not having to pay it or they're used to, they're so used to the idea that's going to be canceled now that, uh, we're already maybe we've gone too far with this thing. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's just me being pessimistic and I need a couple days off for Thanksgiving to get feeling better. You know, I'm not sure. <laughs> the other thing I really wanted to talk about was a story out of NYU uh, that I read uh, first heard about in your piece with national review. Could you get me up to speed on uh, what happened in that organic chemistry class? Sure. There was a professor at NYU, or he, he may have been a senior lecturer, whatever academic jargon it was, who taught his class 
during COVID, there during the COVID era, he made supplementary videos for people with maybe learning complications during that time, went above and beyond. He wrote one of the biggest textbooks in the field on the matter. Um, but many people complained that his class was simply too hard. Um, he was ultimately sacked for that reason after some back and forth. And, you know, a lot of the complaints were like, the grades in this class, I'm paraphrasing slightly, but I, I remember reading one of them that was so right. This was like, the, the grades I got were not consistent with what I will need for medical school. <laughs> so, you know, people sort of thought that this apparently legitimately challenging class was indeed a an entitlement to them that would just end up on their resume and there was maybe some minimum score that they could expect to get that obviously turned out to be untrue um it was a couple of years into the pandemic and people were still blaming the way that the pandemic traumatized them as to why they did so poorly but in reality i i think this is just a matter of campuses indulging kids a little too much and then it inevitably going too far uh now the big problem with stuff like that is when medical schools see students with you know, from nyu with organic chemistry on their transcript they have no idea what that really means organic chemistry was widely considered a weed out class i am guessing i wouldn't have done very well in it and that's why i didn't want to be a doctor mm -hmm. maybe a lot of people would have learned in that class that they shouldn't be doctors but Ultimately, I think most people would want, you know, when they're operating on their their medulla oblongata or whatever, I, I think most people would like someone who understands the chemistry behind it, which that class is probably a very good way of figuring out who is actually cut out for that sort of thing. I, um, I don't know if people it, realize the ramifications oh, of this, of the medical field becoming something where if you try and you feel like you tried, then you get your degree and that's what matters. I mean, surely that's not where we're going right now, right? Right. We, I think down the road, this could lead to sort of a crisis of, of confidence and competence in kind of how we see various fields, right? If you cannot expect the average neurologist to do what they're supposed to be doing with your open brain or a, a cardiologist to, to understand of what changes to diet or lifestyle you need to, to remain healthy, there would be a serious problem. Um, and in, in a way, it's almost like inflation for people's careers, right? Like they got somewhere that they didn't deserve to be on skills that they didn't have, right? Inflation is not only monetary, it's not just things costing more, but it's the bag of chips having fewer chips in it, despite being the same bag, or it's your your doctor's brain having less expertise in it than what you thought you were paying for. It could ultimately be a society-wide problem. It could affect skilled fields. It could affect how employees behave. It could affect the quality of goods and services. It could affect everything. If ultimately people do not have the skills that a college degree would suggest that they have, or that their college coursework on their transcript would suggest that they've learned. Is there a misaligning in the incentive process with the college? I'm trying to figure out, because as a college, you would want to send high quality students uh, to whatever the next school is going to be, 
you, you don't want them to be subpar compared to everywhere else. They had 82 students. I was reading up a little bit. 82 students out of 350 that signed this petition. And the college makes the decision to to uh, get rid of him. It looks like he was on a contract, so it was a little bit easier to get rid of him. Maybe if he was actually a faculty member, tenured, stuff like that, um, maybe it would be a different story. Um, what about the incentive process here for the college? Has the federal government messed that up as well? Or they just they want people to come there so they can get those guaranteed loans, and that's all that matters? I assume so. And that ultimately might be, I haven't thought that much about this, but that might be a weird misalignment between the incentive to grade students harshly and and the incentives of getting students who want to come there upon which government funding is presumably contingent, right? Like a lot of people, a lot of people want to go to prestigious schools. It doesn't mean they want to go to hard schools. <laughs> and when the two of those things are out of whack, but these schools will be getting money from the government just based on the number of students that attend or particularly if they check certain low income or or background demographics that's going to be a huge problem i i i hope that sometime we get to a situation where they these schools are worried about ruining their brand reputation and i think in a more free market system that would be the case uh, because right now it kind of seems like we're going from a, a real nice uh, purse that my wife would like to now knock off handbag, but we got the logo on it. So that's cool. And <laughs> I'm hoping that the market would solve that. Speaking of how, what's your solution for, for this problem? We've laid out a bunch of the issues here. How do you solve it? Well, it's tough. I think to some extent it starts with younger grades, right? Not even with the university system, but with people just being active in their local communities and keeping an eye on curricula. I mean, there's always going to be a tightrope to balance there between giving teachers appropriate freedom while also making sure that curricula are appropriately rigorous for students. There's also, you know, elements that, that just very obviously cause a problem that we need to be sure don't occur again, right? Like learning loss during the pandemic. Uh, if you look at the numbers around fourth and eighth grade students that the from the um, National Assessment on Educational Progress last month, reading learning loss was not that terrible, but in 49 states, math performance declined because oftentimes parents are not equipped to do that and students were not paying attention enough on uh, Zoom classes, right? So making sure that students from a very young age are getting that constant you know, nine months of schooling uninterrupted and getting the appropriate support they need at school from skilled teachers is probably where it really starts. Um, I there There's all sorts of other societal factors that can go into it, right? Like teaching kids to be better students, which has obviously declined, not just because of COVID, but in the social media age, right? Students don't know how to study anymore. And then they're shocked when it requires really hard work to pass organic chemistry in college. <laughs> that was probably a given for a really long time. So that was that was kind of the, the problem there too. I, you know, I remember when I was in college, so I, I, I double majored in poli-sci and Egyptology. And so that was like night and day, right? That poli-sci degree, there were hundreds of kids in that major, 
right? And the standards were very, very easy because a lot of it was opinion-based and a lot of it was just people skipping class and updating each other on notes and forming study groups. But when I thought I was going to be an Egyptologist and I had to study hieroglyphs and I was the only ancient Egypt specialist in my year, that was really, really hard. And you know what? That actually required some serious adaptation on my part and required me to put in the work to memorize these hundreds and hundreds of hieroglyphs and what they meant. So I think there's also kind of just that problem of schools um, at, at all levels, not really teaching students how to study. And that sometimes you'll be shocked that it will require really hard work that other people can't make up for you. So that, that was kind of my lesson from it, right? Like, had I only been a poli-sci major, my life would have been really, really easy. <laughs> and there, but there are a lot of majors where ultimately there's a right and a wrong answer. I imagine most of chemistry is that way. And so students may in fact need to learn that there will be rote and black and white work that will be really hard to do, but they have to do to prove that they understand the underlying concepts. I hope that we can solve that problem. Sounds like a, a pretty big societal problem that we probably see filtering out into all of the other political discussions that we have as well. Maybe some of this starts at the home. Some parents need to start realizing that this is not good and that maybe they're going to need some good doctors to take care of them eventually. So we're going to have to solve this problem uh, at home. Well, Mike, I think we covered the piece pretty good here, and uh, we'd love to have you back on again sometime next time you have something uh, something out to talk about. Can you tell everyone where they can go to uh, read your work and keep up with your posts and all that? Yeah, absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter at MF underscore Viola. Someone beat me to the non-underscore version, of course. <laughs> and you can occasionally find some scripts I wrote on the Foundation for Economic Education uh, YouTube channel where we post all sorts of short videos on pop culture and uh, various economic topics. Now, the fee videos are amazing, by the way. I didn't know if you had uh, if you had anything to do with any of those, but they've got really great content over there. So I'll make, make sure I put a, a link to that in the show notes also. And your Young Voices link as well. Yes, and, and of course, I, on young-voices.com, you can find my profile and stuff I've written recently. All right. That's great. Well, Mike, thank you so much uh, for your time. We'll have you back on again sometime. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Nate. Great talking to you.